to the fathers in here. Glad that you have come, everybody. Let us begin with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, you are great and you are greatly to be praised. Your greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Upon the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works we will meditate and men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts. You are great and wonderful. You are to be feared, you are to be praised, to be loved, to be called upon, to be trusted in, and to be served. Yours is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. All that is in the heaven and all that is in the earth is yours. The kingdom is yours. Hallelujah. And you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. And in your hand is power and might. And it is at your discretion that people are made great and they are given strength. We rejoice this afternoon, Father God, for the privilege, what an activity it is, that we, your people, having been gathered together, can sit and to talk about the things of God. Oh, give to us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of you, that at the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened so that we may know what is the hope of your calling. What is the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints is? And what is the exceeding greatness of your power toward us who believe? Oh God, we thank you that you have delivered us from the dominion of darkness. And in your great goodness and mercy, transferred us into the kingdom of your dear son. In him, we have redemption through his blood. Our sins forgiven. Hallelujah. We rejoice, O God, that you have not left us to ourselves. You did not pass us by. But from before the foundation of the world, you called us. In your mind, you adopted us in your son. Oh, that before the world began. Thank you, Lord. You are great and lovely. You are the most beautiful being. You are the greatest of being. To you belong praise. So, as we are about to study your word here, We ask for the intervention of your Holy Spirit. We ask for your anointing, your unction, so that all that is said and done would be to the praise of your glory. And that 
the hearts of your people would rejoice and love the Lord, our great Savior, more and more. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, everybody, you got a copy of this? We'll be following. We'll read. We'll make some observations. Um, um, questions, observations. Um, wait for the mic, all right, so that... Um, Everything will be heard, especially since we are on sermon audio. You wanted the mic so that everything will be heard, all right? And let's do that together. All right. Um, the communicable attributes of God. Now, we are going to deal today with the knowledge of God, the wisdom of God, and the faithfulness and truthfulness of God. First Samuel 2.3 says, Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. And by him, actions await. Isaiah 40.28 Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and in his and his understanding, no one can fathom. Matthew seeks it. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Matthew twenty two eighteen. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrite, why are you trying to trap me? We are dealing with the knowledge of God. We define the knowledge of God as that perfection of God whereby he, in an entirely unique manner, knows himself and all the things possible and actual in, listen to that, one eternal and most simple act. Okay? That's how he's defined. That's by Burkhoff. We define the knowledge of God as that perfection of God whereby he, in an entirely unique manner, knows himself and all the things possible and actual in one eternal and most simple act. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 147 and verse 4. Psalm 147 and verse 4. Okay, Psalm 147 and verse 4. Here's what it says. He, that is the Lord, determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Verse 5. Great is our Lord 
and abundant in power, his understanding is beyond measure. Let's look at another one. Psalm 94 and verse 9. Psalm 94 and verse 9. 94.9. And God is talking to the people in their disbelief and questioning of God. But here's what he says. In verse 8, understand, O dullest of the people, fools, when will you be wise? Here's the verse we want. He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? The Baptist Confession of 1689 says this, in his sight, that is in God's sight, everything is open and visible. His knowledge, God's knowledge, is infinite and infallible. God's knowledge is infinite and infallible. God's knowledge does not depend upon any creature. So for him, nothing is contingent or uncertain. He's not relying upon the creature, upon something to happen so that he would Gain knowledge. No such thing. God knows everything instantly. At one time. We're talking about the knowledge of God. Let's, let's define it. What, is it. what is its nature? Follow with me as we read. And this is from Burkhoff. I, I pulled this out from Burkhoff. It's nature. It says that it differs in some points from that of men. That's the knowledge of God. Differs in some points from that of men. Because men also do have knowledge. And again, we're dealing with what? The communicable attributes of God. Right? It is archetypical. Archetypal. That is, he knows the universe as it exists in his own eternal idea previous to its existence as a finite reality in time and space. What is being said there is that God knew the universe before the universe existed. Okay? It says that his knowledge is not like ours. Listen to this. This is important. Just listen to this and, 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 and let, that, let that be in your thinking. God's knowledge is not like ours. Ours obtained from outside. It 
happens, see it. You know, somebody tells you about it. It's from outside. Ours is from outside. But God's knowledge is not like that. It's a knowledge characterized by absolute perfection. God's knowledge is intuitive rather than demonstrative. Okay? It's intuitive rather than demonstrative. It is innate and immediate and does not, look at that, and does not result from observation or a process of reasoning. It does not result that way. It is also simultaneous and not successive, so that he sees things at once in their totality. You and I see the things little by little. God sees everything at once in its totality. Not some things, not part of a thing, the whole thing at once. God sees it. God does not have to learn anything. He doesn't do that. He knows everything. Remember, before the universe existed, God knew it perfectly. It didn't exist yet, right? But that's not so with us. We're talking about God's knowledge because his knowledge is different from ours. Um, his knowledge is complete and fully conscious, while man's knowledge is always partial. God's knowledge is complete and fully conscious, while Man's knowledge is always partial. God's knowledge is called necessary knowledge. Ours is not necessary. His is necessary. Why? Because it is not determined by an action of the divine intellect. God's knowledge being necessary is not determined by an action of the divine intellect. God didn't decide and say, let me be wise. It's not so. It's necessary. God has always been wise. God has always known. He didn't learn anything. He always knew Everything. And never was a time that he did not know. So it's necessary. It is by that knowledge that you and I can have knowledge. It's necessary. All right? Yours and mine, not necessary. Right? So it is called necessary knowledge because it is not determined by an action of the divine intellect without any concurrent action of the divine will. Again, he didn't decide, let me be. Let me know, let me be wise, no such thing. The free knowledge of God is the knowledge which he has of all things actual. Things that existed in the past, 
things that existed in the present or things that will exist in the future. Okay? Free knowledge of God. Let's look at its extent. We just looked at the, its nature, the knowledge of God in its nature. Let's look at its ex- extent. The knowledge of God is perfect in kind and its inclusiveness. It is called omniscience, for it is all comprehensive. God knows himself and in himself all things that come from him. God knows himself and in himself all things that come from him. No one taught him. There never was a time that he did not know himself. So that he came in time to be discovering about himself. No such thing. He knows the hidden essence of things to which the knowledge of man cannot penetrate. He penetrates to the depths of the human heart. Of course, we know that. All things that might occur under certain circumstances are present to his mind. Let me repeat that. All things that might occur, might occur, under certain circumstances are present to his mind. He is perfect in knowledge. Job 37, 16 tells us that. He looks not on outward appearance, but on the heart. He observes the ways of men. We have that in Deuteronomy and Job and many other passages of scriptures. He knows the place of their habitation. He knows the days of their life. Let's turn to a few of these, of these um, scriptures that are given to us. When he says that, he looks not on the outward appearance, but on the heart. First Samuel 16 and 7. First Samuel 16 and 7. Let me find someone to read that for me. You find, you find that? Please read um, the verse for me. First Samuel 16, 16 and 7. Wait for the mic. Wait for the mic so you can read it. And please, please read verse 6. Well, verse 7. Read, read 6 also for a little content. Read 6 I, and 7. Verse 16, 7. Yeah, read 6 and 7. Well, you said in the context, I'll read to verse 6. And it came to pass, and the context of this is uh, Samuel, I mean, um, the prophet um, uh, Samuel going to anoint David. Yes. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. 
For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Amen. Amen. The Lord looks on the heart, the inward, inside. He sees you from within. We observe from the outside. Let's look at, uh, and we don't want to look at too many passages, but he observes the ways of men. Let's look at that uh, also. Um, Deuteronomy 2 and 7. Deuteronomy 2 and 7. He observes the ways of men. Deuteronomy 2 and 7. Somebody find that? And then read it. Wait for the mic and read it. Okay, Deuteronomy two, two, seven. two seven. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness. These 40 years the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. Okay, it says that he knows you're going. He knows. Yes, Pastor Paul. Let Pastor Paul have the mic, please. Hold on, Pastor Paul. Get the mic, yes. Verse in Proverbs that says this in 521, for the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, but I reason I picked this verse, listen to the next part, and he pondereth all his goings. Amen. Amen. Yes, indeed. All ways are open before him. Yes, ways are open before him. I like that also. Verse 7 again. What does it say here? Let me, let me read it, 2 and 7. It says, for the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness. These 40 years the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. Amen. He knows. I, will always, I always like to quote this passage of scripture from Hebrews. Where it tells us that since the children of God, the children of men, were like men, I'm paraphrasing, Jesus himself took part of the same. He knows them. He identified with them. He understood them. And he became like them. He knows them intimately. Yes, he knows them intimately. I always love that passage of scripture. To, to quote it properly, it says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same that he through death might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And listen to this. So verily, he took not upon him the nature of angels. You would think, well, he certainly knows the angels more intimately than us. 
He says, but he took not the nature of angels. What did he do? But he took upon him the seed of Abraham. He knows his people. He knows very well. He can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He's acquainted. He's identified with us. He's close to us. He knows us intimately. He did not take upon him the nature of angels. These are much higher beings. Better, you would say. Holy. That's not what he did. He did not take upon him their nature to save them, to deliver them. No, no. But he took upon him what? The seed of Abraham. Remember who Abraham was? A man serving idols. And God called him out of her of the Chaldees to serve him. Amazing. The love of God. The knowledge of God, the wisdom of God. It's amazing how God does things. Amazing. Let's look at a few more. It says that God knows the place of our habitation. In Psalm 33, 13. Somebody find that one. Psalm 33 and verse 13. He knows our habitation, Psalm 33, 13. When you find that, get the mic, leave it for the mic, and then read it. 33, 13. God knows our habitation. Yes, Valerie. 33, 13. 33, 13. Yes. The Lord looketh from heaven. Mm hmm he beholdeth all the sons of men. Yes, yeah. he beholds us. He sees us. That's what that means. He sees us where we are. The things that we're going through. The challenges. The Lord knows. He knows where we are. We are not left without anyone to see us or anyone knows. We're not left on our own. No. The Lord knows where we are. And he says that he knows the days of their lives. Look at that one also. 37, 18. Psalm 37, 18. He knows the days of their lives. 37 and verse 18. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will abide forever. Mm. Yes, he's acquainted with them. They are not on their own. They are continually in his mind and before him, the blameless. Who are the blameless? Anybody can answer that? Who would be the blameless? Get the mic and who, who's the blameless? People. His people are the blameless. 
and his people are those he has found in Christ, whom he purchased for himself. They are the blameless. He called them that they would be holy. He made them holy. And now they are working that holiness. The reason why they can work that holiness is because God has made them holy. He has made them blameless. So it says that the Lord knows the days of the blameless. Imagine that. Don't go too fast with that. Think about this. God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, the greatest and most wonderful being, he who is enthroned in the heavens, king of kings, our glorious Lord. Think about this. God knows the days of the blameless. We are not left here without help. We are not left here on our own. Dear God, if I would only understand this. <laughs> I'm not my own, I am told in scripture. I am bought with a price. Yeah, I'm not my own. I am here Not for myself. I do not belong to myself. Someone made me. Someone determined, decided to make me for his purpose. And he's keeping watch over me. And he knows my days. The good ones, the bad ones, the past ones, the future ones. It's constantly before him. This is, this is amazing. It's always before him. It's not a time well, let's suppose he, he turned his back. And he forgot me. Away with such a thought. Oh God, help us. Help us. All right. God knows all things possible. God knows all things possible. Including events that might happen. Hey, but do not actually come to pass. God knows all things possible, and that includes things that might happen, but did not happen. <laughs> Let's look at this one, Matthew 11. Matthew 11. Matthew 
Matthew 11, 20 through 24. Get the mic and someone please read it. Twenty through twenty-four. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons. You have Mark eleven there? Matthew eleven? Oh, sorry. Matthew eleven. Matthew 11. Twenty through twenty-four. Okay. Matthew eleven, twenty-one, twenty-four. Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. Mm. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Mm-hmm. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. Mm-hmm. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For mm. the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Amen. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Paul. Imagine that. This is, this is Jesus, of course, um, um, calling a war upon the unrepent, these unrepentant cities. Listen to what he says. He says, if the mighty works done in you, he's talking here about Chorazin, had been done in Tyre and Sidon, listen to that, they would have repented long ago. How? In sackcloth and ashes. Jesus is saying, if the miracles I performed, and the things I said had been done there, they would have repented. I mean, they would have repented really low. They would put on sackcloth and ashes. The question you ask, but yes, Pastor Paul. Wait, wait, wait for the mic, Pastor Paul. Same line of thinking. Look at 23. Look at 23, yes. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. Mm-hmm. For if the mighty works which have been done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. So that ties in with what your point you're making. Amen. Amen. So we, you and I know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. We know the story very well. God destroyed it. But Jesus is saying, if the mighty works had been done there, Sodom and Gomorrah would have remained until this day. The question is, why then didn't he go there and do the mighty works had he known that? Amazing how God works. God's throne is established in the heavens. God is sovereign, and he does according to his will. You will say, well, that's not fear. If he had gone there, they would have repented. I see you. I see you, Anne-Marie. The question is, who are you? 
you're, you're, going you're, to also. So, okay, go ahead. I'm go ahead. sorry. I was also going to say that yes, he could have gone there, but then we also wouldn't have had the stern warning of Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah. That's a great observation. Indeed, our God is wise, isn't he? He's wise. He does everything perfectly. Amen. All right, any more? Well, that's the end of this session. Yeah. Yes, Pastor Paul? Application to God's knowledge. Mm-hmm. And it's in Proverbs 2 where it says, My son, mm. if you receive my words and, uh, <coughs> and hide thy commandments with thee, if you incline your ear unto wisdom and apply your heart unto knowledge, yes. if you cry after knowledge and, 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 and a, a call unto understanding, then notice these next words. Then if you seek for her as for silver mm-hmm. and search for her as for hid treasure, then notice these next words. Then you shall understand the fear of the Lord mm. and find the knowledge of God. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for, for helping us and reaching this study with that. Yes. God's wisdom, God, God, God's knowledge. If you do this. Yes. Amen. Yes. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. All right. Let's go to the next one, the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. Let's define wisdom. What do we mean by wisdom? It's choosing the best end and the best means for reaching that end. It's wisdom. Let's look at the source of wisdom. We're going to put it alongside the source of knowledge. Look at that. The source of knowledge is, how do you gain knowledge? You study. What's the source of wisdom? Discernment. How do you gain it? You discern. You don't learn it as you would learn knowledge. Knowledge is discursive. That is, you move from, you move from topic to topic. Wisdom is intuitive. You don't learn it. Knowledge is theoretical. I'll give my textbook. And you learn the things, <laughs> the subject, and the textbook. That's knowledge. Wisdom is practical. What is wisdom? It's the art of right living. The art of right living. You and I know many knowledgeable people who are not wise at all. But the things they know, it would put you to shame. 
You, 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 you would be there listening to them and looking at them with your mouth wide open. But lack wisdom. What is ultimate wisdom anyway? It is the fear of the Lord. It is to not have wisdom if you don't fear the Lord. Because that's where it begins. The source of knowledge, a matter of the mind apart from the will. Knowledge, it's a matter of the mind apart from the will. Knowledge is a matter of the mind apart from the will. You just know the thing. What is wisdom? It's a matter of the mind also made subordinate to the will. Yeah? The matter of the mind made subordinate to the will. The wisdom mentioned in scripture is not rooted in human knowledge, but in the fear of the Lord, which I said already before. And it manifests itself in a God-glorifying life. Do not boast of wisdom if it's just the mere wisdom of the world. Don't bother boasting of how wise you are if that wisdom is not manifesting the glory of God. Don't forget why you are here. Don't forget God's purpose for you being here is that God may be glorified. How then is it wisdom if you are here and you claim you have wisdom and that wisdom is not glorifying God? Think about it. God, God's wisdom manifests itself in creation, in redemption, and in God's providence over Israel and the Gentiles. I want to, take, I want to, to read a passage of scripture. Looking at C. We're talking about God's providence. It manifests itself in creation. We know that. It manifests itself in redemption. Jesus coming from heaven to, to, to redeem mankind. But it says also... That God's wisdom manifests itself in God's providence over Israel and the Gentiles. Now I'm going to read before you Psalm 105. That's all I'm going to do. My wife and I were reading that the other day. And I marveled at it. It's not talking about wisdom. But I'm dealing with it manifesting itself over the prov God's providence over Israel and the Gentiles. How God works in his wisdom to take care of his own. So when I'm, while you, we, I'm reading and you are following, I just want you to marvel at it. Just look at it and be amazed 
at this God whom we serve. All right? Psalm 105. If you are like me, you know, we read. We, you know, we just go through it. We just read it and go through it. Okay, nothing big there. But let's read it deliberately, purposefully. Let's take our time. Let's ponder it. Let's look at it and marvel at it. All right, look at this. God, the way he takes care of his own, the way he goes about to do that. Psalm 105, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence Continually. Look at this. Remember the wondrous works that he has done. His miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant. Children of Jacob, his chosen one. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. The word that he commanded for a thousand generation. The covenant that he made with Abraham. His sworn promise to Isaac. Which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute. To Israel as, of an, as an everlasting covenant. Saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. When they were few in number, of little account, and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets. No harm. Look at that. When he summoned a famine on the land. Look at how God goes about taking care of his own. When he summoned a famine on the land. And broke all supply of bread. He had sent a man ahead of them. Joseph. Who was sold as a slave. Now, you and I remember how Joseph got into Egypt. Listen to what Psalm 105 said. Took place. <laughs> this is God. This is God in his wisdom. And the way he works toward the children of men. It says, when God summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, God sent a man ahead of them. Who? Joseph. <laughs> That's the same Joseph that his brothers 
through into a cave or into a, into a, into a hole and later on sold. And Joseph wounded up in Egypt after much misery. Psalm 105 told us it's God who sent him. Slow down, no, too far. God is doing this. He says that when he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Look at what happened to him. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron. If that was me, I certainly would have thought I missed the will of God. He says, his feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. God has a plan (laughs) for us, you know. God's will, God has a, God's will is toward us. His word, his word will test us. Now, here, June 19, 2022, God's word will test his own. It's not mere theory. It is a God who is involved and engaged in the life of his people. A God who has written, who has purposed that these things be written, that you and I would read it and believe it. It's not like we look at our face in the mirror in the morning, and then go out and forget. It's that we would believe it, obey it, ponder it, remember it. So he says, verse 20, the king sent and released him, the ruler of the people set him free, He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. (laughs) Look at that. Then Israel came to Egypt. Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. And the Lord made his people very fruitful and made them stronger than the, their foes. He turned their hearts to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. Imagine, amazing how, how God works. The sovereignty of God. I marvel at that. He sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. I like that part in verse 23. Israel came to Egypt. And then 
You know what happened to Israel in Egypt? They became slaves. He sent Moses. Moses and Aaron. They performed his signs among them and miracles in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made the land dark. They did not rebel against his words. He turned their waters into blood and caused their fish to die. God's work. Their land swarmed with frogs, even in the chambers of their kings. He spoke, and there came swarms of flies and gnats throughout their country. He gave them hail for rain and fiery lightning bolts through their land. He struck down their vines and fig trees and shattered the trees of their country. He spoke, and the locusts came, young locusts without number, which devoured all the vegetation in the land and ate up the fruit of their ground. He struck down all the firstborn of the land, the first fruits of all their strength. Look at that. Then he brought Israel out. <laughs> then he brought out Israel with silver and gold, and there was none among his tribes who stumbled. Egypt on the other hand, was glad when they departed, for dread of them had fallen upon it. He spread a cloud for a covering and fire to give light by night. They asked, and he brought quail and gave them bread from heaven in abundance. He opened the rock and water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river. Why? For he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. So he brought his people out with joy. His chosen ones with singing. And he gave them the lands of the nations. And they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil. Why? That they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. Yes, Pastor Paul. In the psalm, of course, the wisdom of God is how he brought uh, Moses uh, from Egyptian bondage to the promised land. Mm -hmm. But I'd like to give, uh, since we're talking about the wisdom of God in creation, I'd like to give a practical illustration. Indeed. Tom's wife, she's about to give birth to a little boy. Think of the wisdom, how a life can develop inside the life of a mother. To me, that's wisdom. Yes. To, to so create a, 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 the um, propagation of the human race by developing in the mother the wisdom to make it possible for a little a little baby to to develop in that womb. I mean, that that is wisdom. That is wisdom. That is wisdom. And I was told that little thing is swimming around in water. In water, right? Uh, it's fluid, right? <laughs> and wouldn't get drowned or things like that. Incredible. Yes, yes. Incredible. I, I remember, is it Psalm 8 where it tells us how um, God, God speaks through, through, through the little baby? You'd wonder, that, that thing just born, right? And you put the bottle 
in its mouth. Now think of that. Think of the wisdom of God. You put the bottle in its mouth. Nobody taught him. He just came from his mother's womb. And right away, he knows to pull it. That's wisdom. That's God's wisdom. Who taught him that? He knows what to do. He cannot explain it, but he knows what to do. <laughs> the wisdom of God. Our time has gone. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to skip the rest here uh, and see and deal with four, the veracity of God, the knowledge and truthfulness of God. I'm going to, to deal with that so that you can go home. Um, the name of Jehovah implies God's veracity. What do we mean by that? The God of faithfulness, truthfulness, and without iniquity and perversity. Okay? What does veracity imply? That God, he is real, the true God, over against the false gods. Or the idols which are vanities. So God, our God, the God we serve, the maker of heaven and earth, the creator of all things, is the true God. He is true and he is faithful. B, that he will always remain true to his words and promises. That he will establish them so that he is perfectly reliable and trustworthy. We can trust God. We can rely on God. The gods of the nations, the scripture tells us, are idols. Listen to that. It says that they have mouth, but they cannot speak. Ears they have, but they cannot hear. No noise come out of their throats. What are they? Vanities, lies. But the eternal God is the true God. The real God. The faithful God. That's the point. The God who has revealed himself in Christ is the only real and true God. Whatever he reveals is true. That's by Herman Bavink. He says, the God who has revealed himself in Christ is the only real and true God. Away with the gods, God of the Muslims, or of all the other religions. Away with that. But the one who has revealed himself in Christ, this is God. The only real and true God. 
To him be glory. To him belong praise. Let's distinguish between veracity. There are three, three, three ways we can do that. We can say metaphysical veracity. What do we mean by that? He is true over against all that which is false. Okay? That's what that means. What about ethical veracity? God's revelation corresponds to his being. And what about logical veracity? God knows all things as they really are. If you have any question or comment, we will entertain it. Other than that, we'll close and go home. Amen. I hope, I hope you were helped. I, I, too, while studying this, I was greatly helped. My eyes were open to some of the things, and um, I get to, to ponder this God whom I serve. Oh, yes. And one of the most amazing things for me is that he shows himself in Christ, came down. Yes, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. Amazing. Praise God Almighty. Hmm. Yeah. Scripture tells us, so we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Isn't it? In the negative. We do not have a high priest who cannot be touched. <laughs> if you want to turn it around, he's saying this. So we do have a high priest who can be touched. He says we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but one who was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Amen. Yes, my master. Speaking of um, the knowledge of God, as you were, were pointing out these things, I was just thinking of um, when Jesus uh, was um, in his ministry, and um, I think Nathaniel, mm. uh, when he tells Nata to Nathaniel that, you know, when you were under the fig tree. I saw you when you were under the fig tree. I saw mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. um, just as a, And also... Um, there were when the Pharisees then were thinking evil in their hearts. Indeed, yes. He says, Why do you think nobody said anything? Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. was in their thoughts. Mm -hmm. And he says, Why are you thinking evil no, in, in your, your heart? heart? So he knows, as you know, just dealing with how God knows everything, and he sees us, we are transparent before him. Mm -hmm. You know, David says, um, the light of my sins, uh, it, your eyes see the secrets mm. of my sin. Mm -hmm. It is in the light of your countenance. Mm -hmm. You know, Amen. we can't hide from God. Amen. Uh, when I read these things, though, it make me, you mentioned pondering, mm -hmm. and it's true. We really don't ponder. Well, I we mean, we busy. read, <laughs> we read God's word and, and we hear it, 
but really, we really don't ponder it and, and that let it slip from our heart. Yours truly is yes, guilty of Yes, because that. we don't ponder it. Yeah. All of us, all of us are guilty of that. But when we do ponder it, uh, I think it's in Proverbs, it says, he who give thought mm. to the word, discover good. Yeah. Thank you. All right, so we'll close. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for allowing us to be able to call you Father, to address you as Father, for you have adopted us in Christ, and to sit with one another, those of like precious faith, to speak of those great things concerning you, and to boast in you. We ask for your grace upon us as we live and go home, in Christ's name, amen.